Luke 24. I had started reading there, and uh, we're going to continue on. We'll start with the 13th verse. If you need a Bible, Joe has a Bible for you. Uh, raise your hand because we're a church that believes that you should have the Word of God in your hand to make sure that the pastor's saying the Word of God and not his own opinion. And so, yes, um, you can look it on your phone, too, if you would like. Isn't that amazing that you can go to, to a place, you could go to a place that can only be reached by, very, uh, by waves in the air to your phone, and you can go and read the Word of God. Isn't that a miracle? That is a miracle. So, Luke 24. Luke 24. We're going to start with the 13th verse of Luke 24. We're going to go through the 36th verse. Are you with me? All right. Let's read God's word together. In fact, you know what? Why don't you stand with me as we read this word together in honor of the word of God? Amen. It says, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had just happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their face. Then one of them, Cleophas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Some of the women from our group of his followers were at this tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all the prophets, all that the prophets wrote about in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the thing concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus, and at the end of their journey, Jesus acted as he was going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. 
They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Thus ends the reading of God's word, his holy inspired word. You may be seated. I want to... Right. Same. Yep. Same. (laughs) This morning, for a few moments, I want to spend our time focusing on verse 32. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Do you live with a burning heart? Do you live with a heart full of passion? For the life that you have been given? What do I mean when I say burning heart? A life that understands the heart of God, the creator who made you, and a heart that is moved in the direction of God's purpose. For that is why every one of us were made. We were made to burn with the life and conviction of our Heavenly Father. It is a heart that has convinced of absolute truth, and it is unstoppable in its course and what it was called to do. For us that have been a part of this church for the last 40 days, we have been walking with a burning heart, the heart of Jesus, who knew that Jerusalem was where he had to go, that knew that he needed to go to the cross. He knew the sacrifice that he had to make, And on the way, that burning heart spent specific time with people. And the people that we have been talking about over this 40 days have been what might be considered as insignificant people. People of no means, people of no um, uh, consideration in this world. Most people would walk by them not even considering their life. And yet Jesus, on the way to the cross considered them important enough to stop and to spend time with them. I don't know if you've ever felt as though your life was insignificant, unimportant, and nobody noticed you. But that's not the Messiah. The Messiah looks in each one of your hearts today, and his heart burns for you. His heart loves you. And so... As Jesus walked along that path, what his life eluded, illuminated, was two great things. First, the great need for salvation. There's a great need for salvation. If you're not convinced of that today, it's my prayer that you will be, because he is a great Savior who brings a great salvation to all the world. But also, 
his light illuminated the great love of the Father. That rubs against some people because they don't know the love of a father. But Jesus' life illuminates that to all the world. And so we come back to these two men walking along the road. And as you look at the scripture, there's just a few things I want you to notice. First of all, do you notice they're walking alone? They're walking, they're seven miles away from Jerusalem. Seven miles away from the other disciples. This, of course, was predicted because Jesus in John 16, 32 said, but the time is coming, indeed is here now, when you will be scattered, each one going to his own way, leaving me alone. These prophetic words, of course, came 500 years before Christ in the prophet Zechariah. The 13th chapter, the 7th verse, when he says these words, strike down the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And when we see that today, don't we see that? Can't we hear the Savior's words as he walked on in, into Jerusalem and he said, how I wish that, that I could be the hen that has my chicks, you underneath it. I so want to protect you and yet you did not know the time that was at hand. You did not know what was in front of your faces. How many of us today do not know what's in front of our face? We don't see the risen Savior. Other thing you want to notice about these men is that their hearts were broken. In verse 17, it says that they were sad. Uh, and that, their, that their faces, uh, uh, the sadness was written across their faces. Verse 17 also in the NIV says that their faces were downcast. And in verse 21, it reveals why. Because they had hoped, it says, we had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. Hopelessness had overcome their hearts. I wonder if today you've experienced that. If there's been points in your life where hopelessness has overcome your heart and where you have walked sadly with your face downcast. Maybe some of you have felt like God had let you down like you had thought about what your life could be in this world and it wasn't going that way and somehow you took and blamed God for that. And so your face is downcast and hopeless. So notice um, also uh, the reason why, a second reason. In verse 22 through 24, the men recount a story uh, that were told by the women uh, to Jesus, even the men returning from the tomb. And yet, contextually, we learn from verse 11 how misunderstanding and unbelief can take a person's life. It says in verse 11, but the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. So not only was it hopelessness because of maybe the events in their life that they saw, but hopelessness because the story that they heard was beyond human understanding. It was something that they could not comprehend, and so immediately they made it out to be nonsense, which means mere idle talk or folly. They basically said, these women must be out of their minds. How many of us in this room have looked at faith in God through Jesus Christ and thought the same thing? 
even coming to, to a church or being brought up as a child, that you at some just, you just, because you cannot logically comprehend what is being said in this book, you dismiss it and say, it must be crazy talk. That's where these men were. So they were hopeless. And they were also to the point of saying, the women are just speaking nonsense. Now, this is interesting. It's not because there wasn't facts in front of them. The facts were this. The women's stories were identical. They told the story of the tomb, and they all saw the same thing. Their reality was the same. The women's stories had cohesion and were consistent. They provided details with no human explanation. And also the men who ran, Peter himself who ran, um, found it just exactly as the women had said. So why did the men walk seven miles away, dejected, depressed, and discouraged? As I had said before, but I believe it's something worth repeating, they felt Jesus had let them down by not being what he said he was. Is that your heart today? Do you look into your physical existence, see things clearly in this world and maybe where your life has gone, and somehow you've determined that God has let you down, that he's not who he said he was because you don't have what you thought you'd have? A friend of mine about a year ago challenged me with a thought. He said, I have never seen a transformed life, truly transformed, radically transformed, a life completely changed by the power of the Holy Spirit in all the years that I have been within the Christian world. His comment has never left me. Has never left me. It has challenged me to look around and to see if I've seen total and radical transformation in lives. You see, God did not crush his son so that we could live a safe, well-protected, well-financed, and comfortable life. He sent Jesus to set a community of people on fire for him in every generation of all mankind so that the gospel of Jesus Christ would reach all nations, all generations, all mankind until Jesus returns. That is why the Holy Spirit is here. But we have something that the men did not have at that time. We do. Jesus said in John 16, 12, he said, there is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. Now, why do you say that? Bear means to lift, to endure, declare, sustain, and receive. It's to be able to hold or carry something that you have built up the ability to endure and sustain. One of my favorite pictures this past Christmas on a commercial was this. It was a picture of an older gentleman. He was probably in his 80s. And the commercial starts out, and he has this idea. And so he walks over, and he picks up, well, he actually drags this 50-pound weight into an open area. 
And then day after day after day, he begins to try to lift that off the floor. First, he can't hardly budge it. And then he finally can get it up to his knees. While he's doing this, people are passing by the window watching this old gray-haired man lift this weight. And you can see on their faces, what a foolish man. What a foolish man. But he keeps, he doesn't care. He just keeps trying to lift. And finally, finally it's up to his chest. And then finally it goes over his head. And as that portion of the commercial ends, the next scene is him at Christmas time with his family. And he picks up his great granddaughter and he lifts her up to put the star on the tree. Yes, I cried when I saw that. <laughs> yes, I did. What is it? What is it? That is today evident that was not evident in these men's life. The answer is the power of the resurrected life of Jesus Christ that forms and is evident in us. Ephesians tells us that in Christ we have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to live our life. To live every day and to lift the truth of the gospel in a world that hates it. Every day, we can, because we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. And that's what they were missing. That is, that is what these men had not yet known, but would know, would know in 50 days. In 50 days, Pentecost. People of God. That spirit is here today. Now I, want to, I want to share you a truth. You have to understand this. You understand where these men were? They were being tested. They had walked with Jesus for three years. They had known him. Listen to me. They had seen him do his miraculous work. They had observed, they had observed, even in their own selves, the 72 when they went out, which I'm assuming these two were amongst. And they actually saw demons flee from people. People being healed because of Jesus gave them the power to do that. And yet, they're dejected and depressed. Walking seven miles away from Jerusalem. Is that where you are right now? Are you seven miles away from Jerusalem? Has your life dejection brought you that far away? I have good news for you. This is a test. You see, the evidence, the forming of the Holy Spirit and the evidence of it in your life is, is, the, is when your life walks in the darkness and, and, and in, the, in the valley of despair. That is where the evidence comes out. Now, I, just for a minute, no extra cost for this, it just, just, just came to my mind. I want you to think about something that you're walking through right now that's dark. That's hard. That has been rubbing up against your life. 
A decision that you made that put you out of the presence of God. A decision that you made that you thought God was nonsense. And that he would, just this darkness, okay? All right, you got it? Keep it right there. Because God did something in my life providentially this week. He had me go through my first um, heart test. Went through a heart test. It was fascinating. Um, it was a heart stress test. And uh, not because of anything I'm experiencing, but I'm adopted, and so I don't have a baseline of, of anything of my past history in medical. And so my beautiful wife thought it would be a great idea for me to get a heart stress test. And that was about a year ago. Now, does have no idea there's a delay on my side, but... I pushed back at it. So listen to this. So the heart consisted of me being hooked up to wires to monitor my heartbeat and an ultrasound examination where they took different pictures of my heart at different angles. Anybody ever gone through this? Yeah. It's just fascinating. I, um, you know, very, um, you know, I've never seen my heart before. That's the first time. I was impressed by this. You know, there's nothing I do to keep that heart beating. Nothing. Nothing I do. It, it was amazing. So I asked the nurse the obvious question, is my heart still working? <laughs> she assured me it was. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So here's the things they check. They check to see if the valves were working properly or if blood was leaking by the valves because they were not sealing completely on each beat. Uh, they uh, were checking the walls of my heart uh, and making sure that it's thin enough so that it's flexible enough to work. Now, this is, this is a word for somebody here today. Um, you know that you can work out too much? Do you know that? Yes, you can. Don't you disagree with me? Yes, you can. I had a friend of mine who I started running with. His name was Al DeYoung, and he... Uh, him and I started working out. I introduced him to weightlifting. He took it like to the whole next limit. He did it every day. He just, I mean, he just went off on it. He was about 54 years old, and he had what felt to him like a heart attack. And so he went to the hospital, and they put him on, and they said, Sir, uh, you're not having a heart attack. What has happened is, because of your working out, your heart walls are so thick that your heart is working against itself. And so they said, you need to back off from working out. And so he did. So yes, disagree with me. <laughs> so then, um, then they put me on a treadmill. And they started out with just a three-minute walk. And then after three minutes, they picked up the pace a little bit. It was a little faster walk. And then after three minutes again, they uh, had me on a run. And, uh, and so then my heart came to the, the, the heart rate that they wanted, which is 160 beats per minute. Minute, right? Yeah, minute. And, uh, and so we got there, and I saw the red light flashing, and I said, so how much longer should I go? And they said, you can stop any time. Good. I'm done. <laughs> I don't have any manliness to prove. It's cool. I'm good. They immediately put me back on uh, the bed and had the ultrasound of my ultrasound in my heart to see how it was responding to stress and how long it took for my heart to, re to return back to a normal state. 
I think this was a picture that the Lord had built for me, and it was the exact timing of why I wanted to go, because I think we can build really a great theological uh, truth about a burning heart. First, a burning heart must receive the right blood and keep the blood of Jesus in it. Hebrews 9, 11, 12 says, So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater and more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not a part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that covers us, that changes us. And without that, there's no change. There's only religion. And so, do you have the right blood? Are you covered with the blood of Jesus? Have you come to a place in your life in which you have bowed your knee and said, Jesus, you're the only God there is no one else. Your death on the cross was for me, and I will live for you for the rest of my life. Here are the sins you already know. I bring them to you. I repent of them, and I trust that the completed work was done for me on the cross. Second, we must have the right heart rhythm Jesus told us in John 16, 13 through 15, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me to glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. The beat of true life comes from God alone. He has the words of life, and those words of life, through the blood of Jesus Christ, are spoken into every heart that receives his spirit within. And those are the words that speak over your life. The same words that, that said, let there be light, is the same words that says, let there be enlightenment. May your heart be open to the truth, and the truth set you free. So we must receive the right blood. We must have the right heart rhythm. And third, one of the things that our leadership, this church has learned in this past year, uh, that has come through um, devotions, that has come through so many ways, we must have a humble and flexible heart. Proverbs 3.34 says this, and listen to this, you who within this sound of my voice are mocking even what I'm saying right now. The Lord mocks the mockers, but is gracious to the humble. The Lord will only come in and live within a heart that is humbled before him. Humility comes from a heart that is made pure by the love of God and brought into the right spiritual condition. Mercy and grace gives the heart thin walls that allow it to be filled with his love, teach them with his wisdom, and guide them into the purpose that he has for them. The reason Jesus said his disciples were not yet ready to bear the weight of what he wanted to tell them was because they had not yet been empowered to receive the depth of his truth through the power of the Spirit of God living inside their hearts. 
So what made the change in the men from hearts that were discouraged to hearts that burned? I think that's a great question to ask today. Because maybe you've come in with a discouraged heart. Maybe you've come with a downtrodden heart. Maybe you've come today and things of this world have brought you to a place where you're just saying, I'm seven miles away from Jerusalem. I'm isolated. I'm on my own. It's the word of God, the word and the revelation of God. You see, Jesus rebuked his disciples because the word of God was right in front of them. He was the picture of everything that had been taught over the past 4,000 years pointed to the one that was standing in front of them. You see, Jesus Christ was the one that was the shed blood of the animal, animal skin that covered the first humans after their sin. He was the ark that carried Noah and his family to safety in the time of the flood. He was the sacrificial system that spilt the blood of animals, but yet was only a picture of the one to come. He was the unspotted lamb that was killed for the sins of the people and the scapegoat that carried the sins as far as the east is from the west. He was the substitute ram for Isaac when Abraham raised the knife to kill his own son. He was the prophet that was likened to Moses in Deuteronomy 18.18. I will raise up a prophet like you from among the fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell the people everything I've commanded him. Even though innocent, he was the cursed Messiah in Deuteronomy 21, 22 through 23, that the person that committed a crime worthy of death and is executed and hung on a tree, the body must not remain hanging from the tree overnight. You must bury the body that same day, for anyone who is hung is cursed in the sight of God. He was the one who in Psalm 47 says, when I, when I said, I look, I have come as it is written about me in scriptures. Jesus Christ can be found throughout the 66 books of the Bible. He was the one in Psalm 69, 4, that says that he was hated without cause. And even in this room, maybe somebody has said, I have hated him without cause. He was the one who was spoken about in Psalm 1610, says, For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow my holy ones to rot in the grave. Speaking of the truth that Jesus raised up from the grave in the place, it is empty today. There's only one grave empty in this world, and it's his. So these men even though they had the word of God in front of them, thought that the word had failed. Your first heart test is in the word. God will let the emptiness of this world have its place with you until you realize that your greatest need is him. It says that, that he that he sent the Israelites through the deserts to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We live in a time where people are looking so many places to find identity and fulfillment. But they're always coming short. 
Because identity and fulfillment is found in Jesus Christ, the word of God. These men also thought that the presence of the Messiah had left them. The second heart test is the revelation of his presence. As Jesus, as they were talking and Jesus walked up to them. But more than that, more than that, he did something again. And the, the, there's a debate over what this really meant, whether this was actually communion. But as he was with the men, he took the bread and he blessed it. And he broke it. And the Bible says that as soon as he did that, they recognized him. And he was gone. He disappeared. People of God, the thing that I have learned about communion is the fact that we get to be at the table of the Lord and his intimacy, his presence is the most important thing about that moment. The fact that it says on there, do this in remembrance of me, is the fact that remembering that not only he died, but he arose again, and he's here with us. And he's the most important person in this place right now. Amen. And he loves you. And he wants to give you life. And he's saying to you, the choice you have made is not the life I had chosen for you. I have a choice that I made by going to the cross that gives you life and life eternal. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. As he walked the Israelites through the desert and brought manna from heaven, he was showing to them that by the very word of God, our lives can be sustained. Man can live without money, but man cannot live without Jesus. They cannot. And so he was revealing himself. He was not only the bread of life, he was revealing to the men that the promises of God are true. That he would never leave nor forsake us. There's somebody today that may have been lonely. They may have come in with a loneliness in their heart. Jesus speaks over your life and says, I have never left nor forsaken you. I am the husband to the husbandless. I am the wife to the wifeless. I am the father to the orphan. I am what you need. I am all that you need. The story goes on, and I love the fact that within the hour, I love that. Somebody once read a book, it was called The 10 Second Rule, and it's a book about how long should we take when God calls us. It should take you 10 seconds. Do not respond slowly. When God speaks to you, if he's speaking to you today, respond to him. He's speaking to you. And so they, now listen to me, they ran back seven miles. Why does a person do that? Because their heart is burning. It's burning. We've seen the risen Savior. It's true, everything. What the risen Savior does is prove everything here. It's all true. Not one lie. Every promise true. Everything God says brings life. That's why the evil one's trying to keep you away from reading it. 
No, just no, don't let, let that go. That's why you're not reading it. Because the evil one knows that if you pick it up, you pick up life. He doesn't want you to have life. He wants you to have the death you have right now. And so they ran back against animals, against thieves. It didn't matter to them. They had the light of the truth in their heart, and they're going to run through the darkness to reveal it to others. And as they're telling the story, Jesus said, peace be with you. Now, there's a poem that I read as I bring this to a conclusion. It says this. We cannot kindle when we will. The fire which, is, which in the heart resides, the spirit blows and is still. In mystery, our soul abides. But tasks in hours of insight will can be through hours of gloom fulfilled. Now, I know that there's some of you who have expressed this to me. You absolutely love poems. <laughs> love them. Let me summarize. We cannot set our own hearts on fire. It can only be set by the will of the Father through the sacrifice of the Son empowered by the abiding of the Holy Spirit. It's greatest evidence, listen to me, people of God, the greatest evidence of the movement of the Spirit is in the darkest hours of your life. When life has gotten to a place where depression and doubt and um, discouragement wants to take over and division, let me just add that. I often say that we live on Division Street, so there's never any division in the church. But those things can happen. And at that, those moments, in those darkest moments, who are you? You'll find out. Are you a runner? Are you an abuser? Are you, are you somebody that hides? Or are you victorious? Because in the darkest moments in your life, in the moments where the biggest decisions need to be made, you know who you are. And quite honestly, I think it's designed that way. Because the Father wants to know that he is the overcomer of darkness. That is, you are going through a heart test. He is the truth that sets the heart on fire. And you will run seven miles if you get this. And you'll tell everybody that you can. Because it is the greatest thing any of us ever know. And so this Easter... Where are you? What darkness is trying to overtake your heart? What has moved in? What decision have you made that continues that you know it was the wrong decision? What, what situation are you in in a relationship where he or she doesn't know the Lord and the relationship, even though it might be going smoothly, is abusive because it's against the spirit in you. What does Beelzebub and the Lord have in common with each other? Nothing. Nothing. What is the Lord saying to you today? 
in the midst of this darkness. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who believes in me, listen, listen, will never walk in darkness again, but will walk in the light. And then the encouragement from when John says this, be in the light as he is in the light. Our Lord wants you to walk in light. He wants you to walk in truth. He wants to walk with you. If you're seven miles away from Jerusalem, hear this word. It's time to come home. Amen. Stand with me as the praise team comes up. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we are uh, uh, in the midst of some incredibly beautiful flowers, and are so thankful to the donation of those to this church, but Lord, there's something more beautiful in this place than the flowers, and that is a risen Savior, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who has given all so that, Father, we could receive all and live in all because he is God all of all. And so, Lord, we love you. And as we come, Father, we just, we pray as we can relate to these men. We can relate to the times that we have been separated seven miles away because of discouragement, depression, downcast, division, separation. And Lord, it is this Easter time as the beautiful flowers trumpet the beauty of the Creator as they around us shout, there is a God, there is a God. How could we even be in these pots and living if there wasn't one who determined the life even for all creation? And I pray that, Father, that we hear your voice. And that, Lord, as I know, myself included, there's been many times we've gone through heart tests, that, Father, the truth is the power to burn our hearts and to set us free. May that have been for somebody today. And Father, I just pray and bless this family as you have brought us here. New friends that are among us today, those that we have walked through for years. Father, let us learn to continue to love each other, prompted by your love, to do good works, prompted by the faith that we have and the hope that we have and to continue to walk together in unity and love with each other, no matter what our backgrounds, no matter how diverse, for you are the one that has broken the wall of hostility. There is no separation in the family of God. We love you and we trust you. In the name of your son, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen.